0: If your paradigm is a one quarter return on investment, you don't need to be in this game.
1: Welcome to our weekly show, Brands at Podcasts, where we focus on one thing only, showing you behind the scenes of how some of the best brands in the world are using podcasting to grow. All right, Daniel, welcome. So. Before we dive in today, a little background here is that you are the host of one of the most successful podcasts in the world called Entre Leadership. Before we kind of uh, dive into some of the tactical stuff and some of the strategy stuff, for those who don't know, could you maybe describe like your role currently with Dave Ramsey Solutions, which is the, you know, sort of operating entity that the podcast network is run underneath and then what running entre leadership entails for for you on a day-to-day basis sure
0: love it well thanks for having me on eric it's a joy to be here and hopefully we can add some value to your audience i love what you guys are doing and everybody listening that's into podcast or thinking about podcasts just an incredible medium and one that is i believe here to stay and and just at the beginning of where this whole space is going so I, i love what you guys are about i gotta tell you when i started at ramsey solutions 17 years ago podcast was not a concept this is back in the days when we're all reading blogs and we had our Google readers and we didn't really have this notion of audio or video being a regular thing that we consumed. Even social media was very, very early. And so, you know, I started here at Ramsey Solutions as a salesperson in um, a different area of the company. And Dave, the founder of Ramsey Solutions is internally at the time teaching this course called Entree Leadership. And every week I would go to that internal training and I fell in love with the material because I just have a passion for business and leadership and helping business owners win. In fact, that's what we're all about at Entree Leadership is helping business owners succeed and win. And here was Dave Ramsey, a real business owner who was successful and had made a lot of mistakes teaching us his playbook. And in business school, I had never experienced anything like it because in business school, it was theories and academia. And there's a place for that. But I just got this kind of raw, real, you know, hillbilly guy, Dave Ramsey teaching like, this is the real street stuff. this is how business works. Here's how we're going to do hiring and firing and profit and loss and sales and marketing and all that stuff that I just thought, man, this is what small business owners need to hear. Because I grew up in a household that was a small business household. My granddad founded a small business and my dad ran that business. And so, Around the dinner table and the tardy household growing up, the conversations were about these types of things. And, you know, the truth is in our country, small business is the backbone of our economy. Also, the failure rates are really high in small business. And so I've got these two extreme things going on here where I believe so deeply in helping small business win and the odds are stacked against them. And we want to help with that. And and I've always wanted to help be a part of that conversation. So initially, Entree Leadership was an internal playbook that Dave was teaching our leaders. And then we said, hey, what if we take this out into the marketplace in the form of a live event? And we started doing conferences. We started doing coaching. Around 2011, Dave decided that we would take all of that content that we'd been teaching through live events and write a book. And at that time, we said, you know what, as a part of launching this book, we should launch our social media presence, and we should launch a podcast. And so, the genesis of our podcast, Entre Leadership, really was: let's get the word out that Dave Ramsey has something to say about business. Let's have a weekly episode where we have Dave and a guest on there talking about this idea of helping small business and leadership concepts. And so the format early on was, let's find a guest and talk about leadership. And we didn't have much, it was very unsophisticated. I think we had half of a producer's time working on it. I was not the host at the time. I was kind of the founder of the entre leadership area and it was more on the business side of kind of building the team and, and the ops and ran the PL and and everything like that. Today, I'm the executive vice president of entree leadership and i serve on our operating board and i help dave and, and our board lead our organization of about a thousand team members now we had a transition recently w- with our podcast and i jumped in as the host and i'm loving it so i haven't been hosting very long but i've been such a fan and passionate about what we get to do to help business owners that it just kind of felt like a natural thing and I, i'm excited to kind of be in the seat right now in the season what year was that when you all first launched the show It would have been 2011,
1: right? Probably late 2010, because we're getting ready for the book to come out in the spring of 11. It sounds like small business owners, the ideal listener. Is there any other facet that you would consider like your ideal listener? And has that changed from 2011 to now as more podcasts have come on? Like the positioning of the show, has it changed at all over the course of the last almost 10 years now at this point? That's a great question. And I think it's always going to evolve if it's healthy. You should always be checking in and kind
0: of thinking who is our ideal listener? Who's our primary target with our message. I got to tell you, we weren't really that smart in 2011. We just knew, (laughs) hey, there's this thing called podcast. If we could get some listeners, maybe this will help with our marketing for the book. We weren't quite that intentional about it, nor were we with our entire brand. And so anybody that would come on our podcast, we were just happy to get a guest. We were happy to have, hey, somebody said they would would join us. And we weren't thinking through a filter of if it was necessarily on brand or that, you know, the perfect fit for our ideal target audience. And I think early on, you've got to be a little bit more open to that while you're building your tribe and your listenership. Your standards should continue to increase and your filters should get more and more dialed in as you garner the ability to actually do that and you know what you're really about. And you have the courage to say, no, you're an awesome guest for somebody else. And um, you're not in that position of being desperate after you've kind of built up the tribe and the audience. I'm going to say for us, our focus, the bullseye of our listening audience is that small business owner between two and 200 employees. But that wasn't a podcast conversation that started with a brand conversation that spent a lot of time with Dave and our leadership team and myself, starting a couple years ago, when we had kind of drifted into all things leadership. And we believe in leadership, and we believe everyone needs to be focused on growing their leadership, whether they're formally in a leadership role or not. And there's so much great content out there around leadership, it's an easy space for us to just be another voice in that. But we really felt like we were being called to and and needed to move toward focusing on that small business owner as the center of the bullseye and what does a leadership look like for them? And so that started to kind of shift our filters for who would bring on the podcast and the guest selection process. But we were also able to say, hey, we we can have a generic leadership conversation, but we're gonna make sure that we tether that back into what does a small business owner between two and 200 employees care about in this conversation? So it doesn't necessarily rule out all of the people who aren't small business owner experts, but it just gives us that focus when we're thinking about production. How do we make sure the conversation is relevant to the people that we choose to be here to show up for and serve every day?
1: Absolutely. It helps you frame like what questions what follow up questions, all that sort of stuff, having that lens laid out. So a few more context questions, and then we can dive into some of the strategies. Could you give us an idea of how big the show is in any any way you'd like to describe that and how big maybe the team is that is currently working on the show specifically? I'm sure there's a few folks maybe that participate in the execution of the show. Today we have three
0: full-time team members. And in addition to that, we've got a marketing team who, you know, they, they do various things, but podcast kind of falls under our, our marketing umbrella. So we've got some, some tertiary players that are involved. Downloads this year will be about 10 million and uh, about a weekly subscriber base of 200,000 as you know i mean it's difficult to get all the stats that we'd want to the way that we have like in email and seo and that kind of stuff but yeah we're we're honored i mean we're the thing you got to know when you hear that number 2 is it's 2020 and we just talked about when we started in 2010 and if you're getting started in podcasting, oh, my gosh, I could never like when we started, I could not imagine 10 million downloads. I can't even get my head around 10,000 downloads that first year. I just thought, how are we ever going to grow this thing to that level? But it's so much a story of like the tortoise versus the hare. Like it's just every week consistently building trust, consistently having the conversation that adds value. So, yeah, we're, we're really proud of that. But we're also very grateful to our tribe and, and our fan base that has enabled us to do that. I mean, they've
1: continued to trust us and follow us through the years and spread the word. That's amazing. And yeah, to your point earlier, this is all just getting started. You know, you guys have been at it for 10 years. But I mean, if you continue, I see that just snowballing even from where you are right now. So kudos to you and the team on that. And I'm very curious, like, could you describe a little bit of the Entree Leadership program itself, like the business behind the podcast and like how the podcast amongst, you mentioned you have a marketing team, amongst all the marketing channels you use for Entree Leadership, like how does the podcast fit into that in terms of its effectiveness compared to other channels or how you actually think about the marketing flywheel for the programs that you offer? Well, at the end of the day, like I said, our desire is to help business owners win.
0: And the biggest thing that we've noticed that really helps business owners win is not just more content. Content is infinity these days. There's no longer a premium on being able to find content. We've got podcasts, we've got YouTube, we've got everything on the internet that you could possibly ever dream about finding and Googling. And the days of having a competitive advantage, just because you have something to say, it's gone they're over you know that's that's no longer the market that we're in and i think the light bulb moment for me on how to use podcast and and how it's ultimately going to drive everything else that we're doing was when i read the book by gary vaynerchuk jab 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 right hook maybe jab, 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 or, or only three jabs. I can't remember, but it's a lot of jabs and then a right hook. <laughs> and he talks about the metaphor of in boxing that one of the strategies in boxing is not to just come out guns a blazing and try to have every punch land directly on your opponent's face for the knockout. There's a strategy of jabbing, jabbing, jabbing one, to kind of wear your partner down or your, your competition down a little bit. Also, you're getting them a little bit distracted with your jab on your left and then you come in for the right hook and that's when you land the knockout. And Gary talks about how oftentimes with marketing, we just go for the right hook. We just go straight in for the sell, for the ask, for the, hey, pull out your wallet and here's how awesome we are and here's why you need to buy now, 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 now. And, you know, we just realize as consumers, it doesn't work until we have a relationship until you trust me and I trust you and we and we have a basically a pattern of me consuming your content in a way that gives me value, I'm not going to pull out my wallet and do anything else with you until you've proven to me that I can trust you. And so the concept of jab, 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 right hook is you're jabbing and you're adding value without making an ask. You're adding more value without making an ask. You're building trust with your audience. And that was a big kind of concept for us at Entree Leadership because, you know, we realized at the time we were trying to get people to buy tickets to our live events and to our coaching program. And that's kind of the bottom of the funnel, if you will, if you're thinking of marketing terms, because we believe that helping business owners win, like I said before, just giving them content isn't going to change their life. We believe that it's that plus them engaging in a community, not being isolated, having interactions with a coaching team and being held accountable to the things that they want to do. That's really how transformation takes place for the market that we choose to serve. So, you know, we were trying to go straight into getting people to commit to a lot of time, a lot of money, and a lot of effort for the things that we knew would help them transform. We knew these things would be in their best interest, but we hadn't necessarily earned the right to have that conversation through the jab, jab, jab process of adding value, putting things out there that were free resources that were going to help people regardless of whether they're ready to buy or not. So these days we've got it pretty dialed in where the podcast is, is just such a great medium very low lift relative to if we were going to start our own TV network or something like that. I mean, every week we can put out content and share it with people and add value to their lives. And if they never became a customer that was paying money, at least we helped them out. And then they're going to tell their friends and family and you know the word gets out that hey this is a great resource and so our goal is not how do we use the podcast to convert people while that happens and it's a part of our strategy our primary goal is how do we use our podcast to add hope and drive value and impact the lives of small businesses and show up in a place where they're at every day whether it's on the treadmill and their headphones in the gym whether it's in their car and their commute driving into work if we can get to where they are and give them hope then we can build trust over time. And some percentage of them, you know, take action on the, you know,
1: the additional offerings that we have related to conferences, live events, products, merch, etc. I love that lens for this. And we fully agree on that being the methodology. How would you think about it? If you were advising a friend, who's a marketer or CEO, and they're thinking about things in like, a quarterly like ROI standpoint, or like a short term measurement, they want things pretty attributable, like dollar in equals x dollars out. And they just heard you describe that jab, 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 right hook. And they say that might take too long. Or like, how do I know it's going to work and all those sorts of things? Like, how would you think through helping them think through that answer? I think those are
0: common questions to ask if you're in marketing. So I'm not going to knock it, but I'm also going to tell you that if your paradigm is a one quarter return on investment, you don't need to be in this game. This is the long game. And we want to have a conversation with the marketplace and build a relationship with them over time. You know, you remember back when we were single and dating and, you know, if you think about like, okay, who do I want to date? If you're thinking, okay, how do I make sure in a quarter from now I've got somebody that's ready to get married to me? Well, that's that's not how you approach dating relationships. You go, hey, I'm going to go out with you and I'm going to build it. I'm going to get to know you. And then eventually I'm going to get to know your hobbies and your interests and you're going to get to know mine. And then we're going to get to know each other's families. And then maybe we have a a little bit more in-depth experience together where we go on a trip or something like that. And over time you go, okay, we've been doing this for a while. Hey, you know what? I think we're ready to get married. And that's how we have to think about relationships with our customers and with the marketplace. And podcast is a great way to build that relationship over time. But if out of the gate, if you're thinking, okay, we're gonna launch this thing, we're gonna invest some money, but that first episode, we're gonna have an ad on there and we better convert X or else we're not gonna continue to fund this thing. As Zig Ziglar used to say, you've gotta put logs in the fire before you expect to get heat out of that fire. And as a podcast production team, you've gotta have that mindset of, we're doing this for the long haul. We're doing this because we choose to have our brand be pushing things out that are going to help our audience, whether they ever become customers or whether it takes a long time to become customers. And we're going to trust this principle that building relationships just because it's through the podcast medium doesn't mean that it's not a relationship thing anymore and the timeless principle of investing in relationships eventually yields the fruit that we want whether it's in relationships personally or in a business podcast is no different and so there is a time when you need to be thinking about at some point how are we gonna make sure that the cost is justified and, and we're tracking ROI? But if that's your paradigm to start this thing and decide if you should do it or not, I'm gonna say there's probably other things you should be doing in marketing that are not podcasts because
1: podcast really is about build a relationship for the long haul. On that note, what other marketing levers are you all using at Entree Leadership? And then how do you look at that difference or maybe how they are complementary to each other with the podcasts? email social seo paid
0: ads it all kind of works together i think the the thing that i figured out as kind of the founder of this area is early on i tried to do all those things at once and it ended up being average or or even not as good as average on most of them and so today i'm saying we're doing all that stuff today with the idea that we also have a dedicated person on our marketing team who runs that channel and is the champion of that thing. And so I think my ambition early on with this entrepreneur marketing kind of sales temperament was we got to do all the things. We got to be on all the platforms. And it was just a very naive approach because I thought, If we'll just do it all, then we'll have presence everywhere. But we didn't have the ability to operate those things with excellence. And so a friend of mine in marketing, uh, Richard Linder, who is uh, the president of Digital Marketer, he had this amazing kind of breakthrough moment that he gave me. He was talking about building a bridge across a river. And if you think about building a bridge across a river and And you start building one bridge halfway across and then you get excited about another bridge and you you abandon the first bridge and go start building another bridge halfway across and you know you do this and 10 times you've built 10 bridges halfway across the river you've built the equivalent of five bridges because 10 (laughs) bridges halfway built is five total bridges but none of them have gotten all the way across the river and so it's kind of like what we were doing early on with marketing we we would try to get stuff going on in email and instagram and facebook and twitter and podcast and youtube and i mean there's just so many shiny things out there now that that grab our attention we think we got to do that too and if you just add all that stuff to the mix without getting one path all the way across the river you end up having this watered down amalgamation of just mud and you lose your potency from a marketing standpoint. And your customers are confused about who you are, what you're saying and and what you're trying to do that's going to help them out. And so that was like a pivotal moment. We shut off a lot of our channels as a result of that revelation. And we said, we're going to get really, really good at this one thing. And what makes a bridge go all the way across the river in marketing is we can see how somebody goes from, you know, white space and cold to they're getting to know us and they're in that kind of gray space and then we're nurturing a relationship and they're getting warmed up and then eventually they hear an offer and an opportunity and they convert with dollars and we can see the path all the way across and we can see it with enough volume to go hey this thing has momentum now this fly you mentioned the flywheel earlier that flywheel is spinning and only then should we add another channel to either accomplish a different objective in marketing or to be complementary to this bridge that we've already built across. So you can go up the stream and build another bridge across, or you can say, hey, we've got a bridge all the way across. Let's add another lane to this bridge to add more capacity. And so ever since we approached it that way, it's just become so much more effective than trying to do all things and be all things to all people all the time.
1: It's so true. I mean, it's so easy to compare yourself as a business owner or head of marketing or things like that in your company and your channels that you're operating on and the success of them compared to your competitors or like other people in the space who maybe have like three times the team that you do working on all those channels, but you feel like they're doing it all. So I have to do all of it as well. And you're just not quite there yet. And that's okay. I love that message. Well, and you'll get there. I mean, you know, I, I think that's a great point. Like
0: sometimes we compare our beginning to somebody else's finish line, or we compare our entire life that we can see and how difficult it is to somebody else's highlight reel. You're looking at somebody that's been doing it for 10 years and they've got a dedicated team. So, especially if you're small and you're starting out, you've got to give yourself some grace, but you also have to ask, what's the one thing we can do really, really well consistently? Troy Aikman used to say, do one thing and do it well. And he was obsessed with throwing a football really 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 well and if you'll get really really good and dialed in and master that one thing that will give you the momentum it will give you the resources and it will get that flywheel spinning enough that you will then be able to afford adding on these other you know the team and the technology and staffing up and the guys were just showing me this kit as i came in the studio this morning that we send out for our guests to be interviewed and it's kind of like a you know we ship them a laptop and a microphone and a camera I remember our first kit, like it felt like it was breaking the bank to buy $300 worth of gear. And now we have 20 of them and they cost $2,000 each, you know, yep. but I mean, it's 10 years later and you know, we can justify that now. And as a percentage of our world, it's even smaller than it was back in the day when it's $300. So you've got to realize like it is a process, but what are you going to master? What are you going to do consistently every week? that will give you that momentum that you need.
1: Yeah, and on that note, I mean, you know, how we think about this too, is like, what's one thing you can do that makes everything else easier. And what we've really been honing lately, on our end has been like, the podcast can actually be a pillar piece of content, that then feeds all of your other channels, contextually, that makes it easier. So if you just open up a blank Google Doc, and you got to write a blog post, that is much harder then taking the transcript from a really great conversation you had with a guest, pulling out insights and turning that into a blog post that then helps small business owners who you're looking to help. So so I don't know, are, are you guys doing any of that? Absolutely.
0: And again, I got to credit Gary Vaynerchuk. He talked about in that book, Jab, Jab, jab how many jabs it is right hook this idea of sawdust you know if if you go into a cabinet shop and somebody's been cutting up boards all day long and, and they're creating cabinets out of this lumber well you look on the floor there's piles of sawdust everywhere and at some point i don't know when it was in 50s i think they figured out how to create boards out of sawdust they take all the sawdust and they pack it together and they put glue in it and now It's a new board and you know it's not as strong as plywood but it's at least you know it has a function in the construction space and so the idea of sawdusting your content is hey look around you've already sunk all the cost into building a great podcast conversation like you said, take that transcript, send it to a writer and say, hey, take the gist of this talk and write an article about this. Oh, also take the two or three like buzz phrases in the talk that were really good zingers or quotes. And let's make those into a little meme and drop those out on Instagram and then kind of point back to, hey, by the way, this, if you want to learn more about this, check out this podcast. And so the sawdust idea is that there are things that are flying off of the board you're cutting that are just sitting there that you can repurpose into content that feeds other social channels, even if you don't have the dedicated resources to sit down and draft from scratch or do it quite as frequently or, or high amplitude as you would if you had dedicated people on all that stuff. So you're sinking all this effort into your core pillar, like you talked about, how much of that effort can just for 10% more effort be added on to or repurposed into something that gives you lift in another
1: channel. I love it. We love that framework. How do you do you have any specific way you all like to execute on that strategy as a team or is it kind of depending on the episode and guest and content you know it may vary or is there a very specific sort of assembly line nature of pulling out the content for each medium well at this point you know i mean we we have a service that just pulls the transcripts of all of our podcasts
0: and then our writing team we've got three dedicated writers you know so one of their key results areas is every week to read through the transcript and then start to translate that into articles, newsletter content, social media content, you know, chop it up into its various components, but do it in a way that's appropriate to the medium that it's going to go out on. What you don't want to do is just post your transcript in your newsletter and have people read something that they could listen to if they just subscribed to the podcast. You know, I mean, you need need to do enough work that you're taking it into the context of the way that people like to consume in those particular channels. So yeah, we have a team that that's, I'm not going to say it's assembly line because we never want it to be transactional or just template driven, but that's where we empower our team to say, Hey, think about how this conversation we had is going to serve and help business owners win on Instagram? How's it going to help business owners win on Facebook? How's it going to help business owners win in the next newsletter that we send out? I think it's a little bit of creative work and we empower our team to do that. We don't ever want it to just be cut and paste, but there is intentionality to it as well. And I think if you just are creative and you go, hey, that was a good conversation. How else could we share that in a meaningful way that's going to add value? Again, you know this and I think marketers know this, but sometimes we're guilty of forgetting, Eric. If you're approaching it from how more could we market our stuff, we've already lost. If we're thinking how more can we creatively take value to our customers who are following us, there's ideas laying around everywhere on how you can do that. And if you have a relationship building paradigm, it's going to come natural to you. If you have a, we got to convert something right now, or we've got to get a quota for a certain number of leads, or the sales team is saying, hey, we got leads. How can we extract leads today? There's an old saying that you can shear sheep a thousand times, but you can only skin it once. And as soon as you lose trust with the people that are following you because you try to get too aggressive on making an ask and not building a relationship,
1: that's when we've lost. And we think about that with the repurposing too, to your point, you know, adding value in the medium like you described that you're using it. So we kind of have two ways to look at that. It's authority and awareness for each episode. Authority meaning like you're pulling out the actual insights from the episode and putting it in a Twitter thread, actually putting it in versus like telling people a little bit and then saying, go listen to the episode. Because a lot of people are scrolling Twitter. They're not necessarily like looking to listen to a podcast, they want to read tweets. And so we want to give them that value. And then the the awareness piece is like leading them to the episode. So yeah, it sounds like you guys are executing that amazingly on your end. Let's say you're doing an Instagram story, instead of using their story to say, hey, there's a new episode, go look at it, go
0: listen. Exactly what you're saying. Like people are on Instagram, because they want to be on Instagram, not because they want to leave and go listen to a podcast right then. But you can summarize like, hey, we just had this great podcast. You know, Eric and I were talking. Here's what we talked about. And you can, you can give three minutes of this is some of the big takeaways from this conversation I had with this guy, Eric. It was awesome. By the way, if you want to check it out, go check it out. So you still gave them value if they never leave and they just swipe to the next story. They got a little bit of nugget of value out of that. But if you just use it to promote, hey, we need you to go over here to another channel. People are going to be like, but that's not why I'm here right now. And we don't see strong conversion
1: on that. And it frustrates your audience what have you tried, any sort of levers you've pulled to try to grow the listenership over the years? And then what has worked best? And then I have a follow-up question on any success stories you've seen from it, qualitative or quantitative, with the podcast strategy working, you know, ultimately over the long-term, the way you described it previously. But first, like, any marketing strategies for growing the show in and of itself? Well, a couple things come to mind. I think the
0: production quality needs to be on par with the level of excellence you want your brand to be perceived as. So the way the mix sounds, the way the microphones sound, if you just turned on your you know, your cheap speaker in a, in a big echoey room and it, it sounds staticky and somebody's using a landline to call in and there's better technology out there for not a lot of money and I don't, I don't know if you guys have these resources or I mean there's plenty of sites you can just Google like how do you get a basic podcast set up that's going to sound really good for less than a couple thousand dollars you've got to invest in the quality of the listening experience. I think doing that consistent, it's almost like permission to play these days. There was a time early on when just the ability to hear two people talking over the phone and have it recorded was kind of novel. But these days, the bar is really high on excellence for the listening experience. The good news is it doesn't cost a lot of money or take a lot of effort to meet that bar. But I think that's something that you've got to be known for. The other thing is just consistently delivering On what you've conditioned your audience to expect from you and so every week without fail every monday we've got an episode that goes out and we've never skipped in the you know almost a thousand episodes that we've put out now we have never skipped an episode because our promise to the marketplace is every monday we're going to show up for you we're going to be there for you and you could count on us what that takes though is having enough in the can and having enough padding that when life happens or something goes crazy it doesn't throw us into a tailspin and we're sitting here sunday night trying to come up with something right and so planning ahead of time having a pipeline of episodes that are in the queue having a pipeline of episodes that you're recording episodes that are in the editing process and then they're sitting there one's on deck uh, one's in the hole and you've got you know the one that's on the plate that's live in production you've got to have that pipeline And then also just format. You've got to have a consistent format that every time the listener knows, hey, this is about what I should expect. Generally, it's going to be around the same length. It's going to be this kind of a feel. If it's interview driven, they're good quality interviews that are going to be, you know, consistently a part of the conversation every week. The segments and, you know, early on, you may want to experiment with that stuff. But before too long, you need to kind of dial in you know, this is what you should expect from us. If every time I got this, I don't get the paper anymore, but you remember the days when we got the newspaper. If every time you got the newspaper and one day you opened up and the front page was, the cartoons and then the next week you open up the front page was the advertisements and then the next day you open up and the front page is the obituaries you're gonna go what are they doing here like they're all over the place and eventually you just stop subscribing to the paper because it's inconsistent you don't know what to expect so i would say as soon as you can get your format dialed in and then stick with that format and just beat that drum. I mean, just get consistent reps, boom, boom, boom every week. That's the main thing that's going to build your audience because the people that are going to gravitate towards you, they're going to expect that they're going to enjoy it. And then they're going to share it. So we've just always depended on word of mouth and delivering really, really good quality and the ratings in iTunes show up as a result. We make a little bit of an ask at the end, just a reminder, like, hey, review us in iTunes, share it, give it, you know, a five star. But people are going to do that or not do that based on the quality of the conversation and the episode, not because you asked them to, you know, "We please help us out? We're trying to grow our listenership. It'd mean a lot to us if you go, you know, like who cares, man? I'm not here for you. I'm here for me as the listener. I want to know what am I getting out of this? And if you impress me and you wow me, well, then the natural result, human nature is I'm going to share it. I'm going to give you a good review. It's so
1: true. I better scratch that in my wrap up of this episode. I'm going to X that out right now. No, I'm just kidding. I don't, (laughs) I don't do that. I think it's kind of a waste of airtime to be frank, but yeah, so I love that. And what I love about that is we can't overlook, you guys have been at this for 10, almost 10 years. And the consistency has been there for 10 years. And what you're saying is like, there's no silver bullet, like there's no magic pill. If marketing was that easy to grow a show, everybody would be doing it. So like the fundamentals, especially now where more podcasts are in existence than ever before, like you have to get those fundamentals right or else, okay, cool, people are aware of it, they're hitting play and then they're leaving three minutes in and they're never coming back. I mean, I think your first metric, if you're getting started in this space, You know, it's tempting to go, what would it take for us to be
0: in the top 10, you know, in our category? It takes a long time to get there. And I I think I'd be more interested in what does it take to get 100 people to consistently listen to our podcast from start to finish and really enjoy it? Because if they really enjoy it and it's only 100 people, quickly it'll turn into 200, 400, 500, and you'll be climbing up the charts. But if your paradigm is how do we get to the top, you're going to start trying to emulate everything that these top podcasts are doing. And it's going to come off as fake or forced or copycat. And the truth is you probably don't have the production team to do. I just recently interviewed Guy Russ with How I Built This. Fascinating guy. But you listen to How I Built This and you're like, man, this thing is, they got the audio bumps and the you know, the interview, the B-roll stuff floating in and out. And It's just this amazing texture and the listening experience. They've got a staff of about 12 people full-time working on this thing. And for every one hour episode you hear, there's about 200 hours of audio that's been recorded and 199 hours make it on the editing room floor. They get cut and they're scoring their own music. You know, I mean, it's like these guys are at a whole nother level. And you know, your tax dollars at work, right? But if you're trying to compare yourself to like, how do I create the how I built this in my space, you're just not going to do that early on. But what you can do is you can get that 100 people to really, really enjoy and get value out of the conversation, start to finish all the way through an episode. And then you get that first little spin on the flywheel, and then you spin it again and spin it again. And every
1: week it builds and builds and builds. I love that so much. And a lot of companies don't need to be in the top 10 for their podcast to be incredibly successful for their business. That's what's cool about it, because your niche, I mean, you,
0: would you rather have a million people listening where 1% of them are a part of your audience? Or would you rather have 100,000 people listening where 90% of them are a part of your ideal audience? You know, it's better to be small and potent and hyper relevant, you have that niche, than to be on the charts, you know, because for the majority of companies out there, being on the charts is not the thing that's going to cause you to move the needle with marketing.
1: So true. Awesome. Well, you know, kind of as we get close to a close here, I'm curious, like if there's any anecdotal, qualitative or quantitative sort of results you've seen over the years of, you know, hey, this person came in and became a customer of ours and they said the singular reason they did that was because they've been listening to our podcast for 12 months or, you know, any sort of feedback like that. I know podcasting's really hard to track. It's really hard to track, like, hey, someone listened and they became a customer, you know, depending on how you're capturing that data. But I'm just, I'm always curious because this is a big question that a lot of teams have is like, how can we measure it? Even if we're in it for the long haul, we were fully bought in. This is a long-term content strategy. How should we actually measure the ROI of this?
0: Well, I think the best thing we've done with podcast is creating free resources that people can opt into to get more information that's going to help them apply what they just heard about on the podcast. So let's say you and I were having a conversation about how to do hiring really, really well. And if I was interviewing you about your experiences in hiring people, we would have an organic conversation and you would say, well, I've I've done this well and I screwed this up and As the expert in hiring, I'm asking you more questions. Well, what about this? What about this? What do small business owners need to know? That whole conversation is creating credibility and establishing you, Eric, as the authority on the topic of hiring. And so if we've done a good job of building a great focused audience, business owners, they all care about hiring really well. So we know that they're qualified for this conversation. It's relative and it's going to add value to them. At the end of the conversation, when I can jump on and the post, you know, kind of the outro piece of the discussion, I can say, guys, what an incredible conversation with Eric. I hope you enjoyed his tips on hiring. Hey, by the way, this is something that we work on all the time and coach business owners on. Our coaching team has put together a free resource. It's a PDF. It's absolutely free. It's 10 steps to hiring a rockstar team member. All you got to do is text in hire rockstar to 33444. Well, at this point, This person's been marinating in this conversation emotionally for the last 40 minutes about hiring great people. They're thinking, I got to up my game on how I'm hiring. I wonder what's, you know, the place for me to start doing that. Well, if I go, hey, here's an ad for how to sign up for our coaching program. It's a thousand dollars a month. And hey, they'll teach you how to hire people really well. Trust us. It's too big of a leap. It's too big of a leap. And if they just call the phone number and come in the front door, like you said, they may not attribute themselves to the way that I heard about this was your podcast, they, you know, the sales team may say, well, they may not even ask how they heard about it. They may just be you know, like, let's just get this deal closed. Right. But I know if they downloaded that resource, I can track this many people converted through, we call it a lead magnet. And it's a free resource that's value added. And you have to make sure that if they never bought anything, this really does add value and helps them out. It's a PDF text in to download it really quick and easy, but you can do your attribution and you can see your conversions from that episode. And so we can track through a typical funnel. Okay, number of downloads for that episode. And then of that, what percent downloaded the free resource? And then of that, what percent turned into, and we can track through our CRM system turned into a sale. And so we can compare episode to episode and go, oh, that resource totally bombed. Nobody downloaded that. I wonder why. Well, let's go back and listen to how we promoted it. Let's go back and listen to what it actually was. Oh, that one didn't have anything to do with hiring. That was just a, a, you know, general team culture episode. So we had a disconnect between the conversation and the resource. And so we can learn and do kind of the the postmortem on actual stats and metrics when we have that baked in there. And so that's a great way to use podcast as a you know, if you're trying to figure out attribution, get people to download something or have a link in the show notes that they click that you've got a little tracker on, but you got to give them a reason to go get more information. That's going to be more value content, not go buy something. And you're going to have less friction that way
1: if you do it. Is there a way for you to know of the percentage of people that are becoming clients of yours, what percentage came from that? download that you can actually track like is it 20 30 percent 50 percent you know of total clients coming in obviously not looking for a specific number you know unless you have one or want to share but like i'm just curious like is there like a weighting that you look at with that in comparison to the total number of customers signing up
0: yeah for sure i mean i'm going to tell you a podcast is our 800 pound gorilla of our megaphone And when we look at new customers and and the source of where they, you know, they came from, it's difficult to tell which particular marketing experience or instance was the thing that moved the needle. But more than 70% of them say podcast is the way they heard about us or the thing that caused them to, you know, get involved in the conversation with our brand. We'll hear people that have been listening to our podcast for four years and all of a sudden they become a customer or we'll help people is four months and they just were cruising through iTunes. They found us and then they became a customer. But we actually do surveys like prior to our live events, you know, we'll have 3000 people coming to a live event this fall and, you know, they're buying tickets and preparing for the event. So a part of the event registration process, we send them a little survey and we figure out you know, do you listen to the Entree Leadership Podcast? If so, for how long? And every time, you know, it's like 70% of the people showing up at these events, multi-thousand dollar ticket, big, you know, several-day conference, big investment at the top line of these events is, is several multi-million dollars. And so it's a big revenue cash generating machine for us. And so we want to know, like, what's getting people to show up at these events? Well, it's our sales team. It's our marketing team. It's repeat attendees over time. But when 70% of them say they listen to the podcast, we go, oh, ding, ding. Okay. That's part of how we can continue to keep this relationship going with this tribe, whether they're longtime attendees or they're coming for their very first one. So I think you got to kind of look beyond the podcast and your customers that have been customers for a while, and you've earned the right to extract a little bit more data through the form of survey, be sure you're getting some information about podcasts. And I don't know that a podcast, a episode is ever the thing that caused somebody to buy. But again, it's back to people buy
1: things from people they have a relationship with and episode after episode, you're building that relationship. I love that. That's incredible insight too. the information that you're able to glean through those surveys is absolutely invaluable. Okay, cool. Well, Daniel, this has been amazing. I mean, you know, last question here before we wrap up would be if, again, like you're advising a friend of yours who's coming to you, seeing the success you've had with the show. They're thinking about getting started. They're running a business right now. It's between two and 200 employees. They're doing a variety of things on organic social, maybe some paid ads. And they're like, hey, Daniel, like you're the podcast guru. Like you guys have been at this a long time. Like what's one or two things I should really think about to make this a success if i move forward with a podcast strategy is there any final tip you'd want to leave people with here well eric at the end of the day every business should have a purpose and a meaning for why
0: they exist what's the mission that you're on what's the difference that you really want to make in the world and if you have that clear sense of purpose and you know why we're here and the value that we add and this is what gets us out of bed every morning this is the difference we want to make in the world how does that show up in a way that really delights your customers? What is that thing? When you get a thank you letter from a customer in the mail, what are they thanking you for? What is the thing that they say, hey, you guys changed my life because fill in the blank. You did it with excellence or it's the best or I've never had anything like this. You've got that thing. If you're in business, you better. If you don't have that sense of purpose, you're not going to make it in business. And so podcast... If you're thinking about should we get into podcast again i'm going to challenge you don't come at this from a marketing do we do this as another marketing channel this is the best medium right now for you to be able to take that purpose that you have that desire you have to have a conversation in the marketplace that actually impacts people adds value to customers changes lives and get it out there in a way that scales infinitely that gets to hundreds and thousands and tens of thousands and eventually millions of people that you can make a difference in their lives. And some of them will become customers. A lot more of them than you currently have will become customers. That's the byproduct the the purchase that takes place is the natural byproduct of you saying, hey, we want to extend our purpose into the marketplace. We want to extend what our company does and how we add value to our customers. We want this to extend and scale what we do with our product or service every day then you get a chance to talk about it more. Then you get a chance to convert some of those people into more customers and, and help them out. And it does need to do the function of marketing. I'm not, I'm not dismissing that, but the mindset and the emotions that you bring to the conversation of, should we do podcasts? How much effort should we put into it? I want you to tap back into your purpose of why are you in business to begin with? And how can a podcast strategy be an extension of doubling down on that purpose and making a difference in the world for your customers
1: in a way that really delights them? That's incredible. That's incredible lens to look at that from. It's not transactional to your point. It's what is the purpose? And then how can we deliver that? And a podcast being a good vehicle for that right now. Well, Daniel, thank you again. Really, really, really appreciate your time. I really encourage if anybody's not listening to the Entree Leadership podcast yet after this 45 minutes of talking about the show, I'd really encourage you to go check it out. Also go to EntreeLeadership.com can check out some of the programs and offers they have there uh, and free resources like Daniel mentioned. Anywhere else you want to point people to, Daniel, specifically other than those places? That's it. Check out EntreeLeadership.com. We'd love it if you uh, checked out the podcast. Again, if you're a small business
0: owner, that's what we orient the conversations around. But if you're in leadership, if you just believe in high performance and growing as an individual, or you want to be in leadership someday, you still have a seat around that campfire. We'd
1: love to have you. Awesome, thanks so much, Daniel. Eric, my pleasure, thanks for having us.